Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 609. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show... Let it, let us know, sweetie. Well, I, you don't know this, but you and I are going to work through something together. Oh, great. And we're going to practice difficult thoughts and emotions, but I'm going to coach you through it. Ooh. And so people can kind of get an idea of what, how to, how to do it. I'm nervous sighted. Nervous sighted. Is it because I did something wrong? No, gosh, oh. not at all, honey. So this isn't like no, I didn't no, no, no. put the toilet seat down type no, stuff? No, no, okay. no. This is not about you per se. You just happen to be the person. I'm who, the guinea pig. You're the guinea pig. Yeah. So, um, sweetie, you have this amazing twice a week thing called Zen Parenting Moment, and it comes out Tuesdays and Fridays. There's two that we have. One is called Sparkle and Terror. Mm -hmm. The other is called Change. Which of those two would you like to focus on today? Well, I think we have to focus focus on Sparkle and Terror because I continue to get emails about it. But what about this one, sweetie? What's the name of this song? Change. And where does this song rank in my favorite songs This of all is your time? number one favorite song. It's my number one. I play about once every month on this podcast just to kind of keep promoting this amazing song by Blind Melon. Because the sun don't feel like coming out today. Is that what it says? I don't feel the sun's oh, coming there it is. Out Shannon doesn't feel the sun's coming out today. Staying in. All right, so we're I'm not so focus sorry. On that Did one. I ruin your um... sweetie? You could stuff your sorries in a sack. <laughs> Sparkle and terror. Yes. Tell us about it. Okay, so I wrote this um, a while ago, and I wrote it because I realized that there are two feelings that are really um, prominent for me, and they're not traditional feelings. The first one I call sparkle because it's where I hear something or experience something that makes me have a really strong resonance where it's something I want to learn more about or I want to write about it or it becomes this like huge aha and it can happen if I'm like listening to a podcast that's trying to teach me something, it can happen if I'm watching a, you know, a TV show mm -hmm. or a movie where I hear something like I'll give an example. We went to see A Quiet Place 2 about a month ago, and there's this scene in A Quiet Place 2 where the mom says to her son in sign language, you have everything you need. Mm. And it's this moment that is not going to have any feel for anybody right now unless they've seen the movie. Right. So just me saying the words doesn't mean anything. You have to know the, the history of what she means by you have everything you need. But it had this huge sparkle mm -hmm. in me where I was like, and I say sparkle because I light up mm -hmm. like inside where I go, that's important, that's important. Like there's something about that that resonates. So that's an example. Nice. Or I'll be reading a book and I underline, underline, underline because there's sparkle. Yeah. So that's good. The other feeling I have is called terror where I experience something or I feel something or see something and I have this really out, like big reaction to it that's out of proportion to what's happening. Mm. And I call it terror. Um, that's what I've always called it in therapy because it is, I am terrified of something that isn't terrifying. Mm. So whatever the stimulus is, your response is bigger than what the stimulus really would Should entail. Normally, yeah, normally entail. be. Yeah, exactly. And so it'll be something like, um, I'll use an old one because we've talked about it before. So like, 
you know, when my girls were little and they were in preschool and one day my, one of my daughters didn't feel good. And so she didn't go to preschool and I found myself crying at the table because mm. <laughs> she wasn't going to preschool. When in fact it was your three-year-old who didn't go to school yeah. for any specific day. And the reason why th- that is so obviously now in hindsight that all my girls are, you know, grown up or, you know, in their teens, it obviously didn't make any difference in the big picture of their life. It's not going to make a big difference in their educational development their social development, it's one day, but there's something historical about her not going to school that made me have a terror response. Mm. Now I'm using terror instead of trauma because sometimes things are not completely connected to a trauma. They're just a feeling where it's tied to some belief that you have that makes it, you know, as I said, in the, in the writing and the Zen parenting moment, the phrase that your sister always shares with me is if it's hysterical, it's historical. So when you feel like you're getting hysterical about something that isn't that big of a deal, there's something about it that's connected to something worth investigating. Right. So that's what the, it was about, it was about sparkle and terror. And I tend to write and talk and focus on both of them. Sweet. Um, if you want to uh, subscribe, just scroll on your phone, uh, up or down. I forget which way it is. And you put in your first name, last name, email address, and you'll get one of these Zen Parenting Moments uh, twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. also want to give a shout out for Team Zen. It's, uh, we do these Zen Talks twice a month with some people that really like our podcast. And um, we have one actually later today, being Tuesday. Oh, nice. And uh, so if the first month is free. And we'd love for you to join us. It's just, um, you know, any support you need, uh, any questions you have, it's just real-time feedback from Kathy and Todd. So we'd and love connection to with community, which I feel can be the best, is where you share and everybody tends to relate and understand and it makes you feel less alone. Um, and then I also want to give a shout out. What There's a, um, uh, actually she's on Team Zen. Her name is Don Elda. I don't want to say her last name, but she supported this NAMI walk that we're doing in September. Uh, Zen Parenting Radio and Men Living is doing this NAMI walk. NAMI stands for National Alliance of Mental Illness. And they do this walk in Chicago every September. It's September 18th. But the good news is they have these all over the country, Mm -hmm. like from Washington to Florida, from Maine to California and everywhere in between. So you don't have to be here to support and do a walk. Mm -hmm. It's literally like in every single state, multiple walks per state. Or if you just want to donate to the cause, I have a goal, personal goal of raising $2,500 and we're $200 in into the 25. So if anybody's interested in walking with me and my daughters in September in Chicago or just doing your own walk um, or just supporting us, that is also in the show notes of this podcast. We'd love, and I'll I'll read your name, at least your first name and maybe where you're from uh, if you give us a donation. So that's it. Nice. So are we ready? Let's do it. Okay. So I've been reading uh, a new book and it's Sharon Salzberg's book. Um, If you know Sharon Salzberg, she's a meditation and mindfulness teacher. She's one of the originals. Like, you know, she is um, part of that group, you know, the John Kabat-Zinn's and the um, Jack Canfield's and the, is it Jack Canfield? Cornfield. Cornfield. Jack, Jack Canfield, Canfield is, is the success soup. guy. He's the soup for the soup soul. guy, yeah. So, um, and so she's just one of the original teachers. Okay. And so she she writes a lot of books about mindfulness, and this is called Real Change, Mindfulness to Heal Ourselves and the World, Sharon Salzberg. She also has a podcast um, that you might be interested in checking out. But anyway, I, I always read her books when they come out, and she has a section um, in this book in the par- – or excuse me, in the chapter called Awakening to the Fire – and, and it's called Practice Difficult Thoughts and Emotions. And I thought that maybe if I just kind of 
talk through it with Todd, then everybody could kind of get an idea of how we practice difficult thoughts and emotions. Okay. The reason why this is important is because difficult thoughts and emotions are, they're, they're not something you can get rid of. Okay. Right. So when we talk about mindfulness or meditation, there's a misunderstanding that if you're a good uh, med- meditator or if you practice mindfulness, then you won't have to deal with pain. Right. And that's baloney, as my dad used to say. Baloney sandwich. That's baloney. So the practice is really recognizing your thoughts and emotions and then holding them in such a way that you can decrease your suffering. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean you won't feel pain, but you can decrease the suffering or you can decrease the, um, like, um, you know, I'm thinking about like a car accident, like the damage mm-hmm. that you do to yourself just because of a thought. Reminds me of the quote, pain is uh, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Correct. Okay. So, so we'll, I don't know, Todd, do you want to start with a painful thought so we can kind of walk through it? Sure. Okay. So you don't have to share it. No, I'll share it. Okay. So what is a painful thought? Or a difficult emotion. Something or I'm a stuck thought. on, maybe. Yeah, let's or say. something that's intense. Um, I need to get as much done today and be productive. And if I'm not, then I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. Okay. You're not good enough. Not good okay? enough. Right. So um, basically, the first thing to know about any difficult thoughts is that all we need to do is practice being with them in a more open, allowing, accepting way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get rid of the fact that they feel difficult, but we can be more accepting. So most commonly when something unpleasant, like when something unpleasant is happening, we kind of project it into the future, just like you did. Like this is going to last forever. This is never going to change. This will always be this way. Like there's a feeling of the way I feel now is the way I feel every day and it'll always be like this. Right. Which brings me to whenever my daughters are struggling, I or you for that matter, you had a headache last night. You I talk did. about the waves. I did. Mm-hmm. Both comfortable and uncomfortable feelings are waves that will come and go. And you know, I'm going to stop for a second because I just learned something um, that was really helpful. I just told Skylar this. Um, Dax and Monica on Armchair Expert, they just had Esther Perel on again. Mm. It was like her sec- the, you know, second time they've interviewed her. And she talked a lot about the pandemic and they talked a lot about relationship. And one of the things that Monica was saying is they were talking about Dax's relapse because mm. he had a relapse during quarantine. Um, and she was like, Monica was like, it was so hard because I could kind of feel what he was feeling and I you know, was experiencing what he was experiencing. And I was sad when he was sad and it was such a weight on me. And she's like, and I almost felt selfish because I wanted him to get his act together because he was burdening Mm. me with his struggle. And then Monica said, and, you know, it was such a codependent way to feel. And Esther goes, stop for a second. It is not codependency when someone you love is hurting Mm. and you hurt too. Mm. She goes, that's called relationship. Mm. And I thought you would appreciate that because... I'm the same way when someone's hurting around me, I tend to hurt and, and mine can go to an extreme, I know. Yeah. But I tend to hurt too. And I think you and I beat up on ourselves about something we probably shouldn't beat up on ourselves about. For me, it is a pendulum or it's a balance because, you know, one thing that I've quoted many times, well, it's not my job to manage your emotions, so I'll completely detach. And that's too far the and, other way. And Monica was Maybe and maybe Monica found that perfect balance in between empathy and also letting Dax take care of himself. You know what well, I mean? Well, she didn't. Basically, I don't know what 
because if he's feeling down and she's feeling down, that's empathic, right? Correct. Correct. And what I mean, what I, what's important about what she said was, I don't think there is any perfect place. Like the way you just stated it is like someone can find this perfect balance. And I think what Esther was saying is, why don't we quit labeling this mm. as a problem? Mm -hmm. And she's like, I would be much more worried if you said Dax was really down and I just didn't let it bother me. That's a problem. Welcome to my world sometimes. But no, you're, you experience the other more often, Todd. Give me an, what do you, you mean? You will say to me, one of our girls is down and I just couldn't help but feel low. True. And so you're saying, oh, I'm so detached. And that's not true. Well, I think it depends. I don't know what the filter is in my brain to, to really... Um, to start feeling whatever it is. Like if one of my daughters is having a bad day and I'm having a bad day, like I don't know what it is that makes some things make me feel while other things that my daughters will do will make me feel. Or like when I watch the news, which is obviously easy to detach from because it's a bunch of people on TV. Um, sometimes I let that affect me, but most of the time I'm like completely detached. Mm -hmm. Like this, whatever, I listened on NPR this morning, my Up First app, and in Germany and somewhere else, there's like this ridiculous flooding going on. I know. And there's like a lot of pain and suffering I know that are happening. And this is embarrassing for me to reveal to everybody. You can't feel didn't it. didn't come close to even being in the neighborhood of affecting me. Mm -hmm. Except for the fact that I remember hearing it this morning and now I'm sharing it with you. So maybe it did a little <laughs> of bit. Of course it did. Maybe it did a little yeah. bit, but it's. I'm like, okay, what's next? But see, the thing about you with emotions is that you have tried to learn about emotions through a book mm -hmm. instead of trusting that you really have emotions. Sure. So you, look, you have an experience with that podcast and you actually think to yourself, I'm not having an emotional experience. I bet Kathy would have more of an emotional experience I bet other men would have a more mm. emotional experience. And you like judge yourself when really you're probably having a very typical experience. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to A Quiet Place, sure. the movie. Okay. So there's a scene at the beginning of A Quiet Place 2 where they're, before anything happens to this town and it becomes- Before the aliens before invade. Before the aliens invade, where they are in this grocery store and they're watching mm. something happening in, I think it's in China or in, it's some it's a different country. Yeah. And they're watching on the news how this country is being terrorized. And they're just watching. And I mean, they're like, huh. Yeah. But they just go on, buy their potato chips, move on. Like we can't carry the weight. Otherwise of, we'll get paralyzed. Correct. Yeah. That doesn't mean we don't care. Yeah. And if somebody said to you, hey, I know this great organization that, that is helping families in Germany, we should donate, you would. Because mm -hmm. I know you and you sure. would. So you do care. Sure. But you can't carry the weight of everybody's pain. Well, and the other thing, I agree with everything you're saying. The other thing I'll say is, you're right. There is no perfect balance. No. I think mm -hmm. the perfect balance is recognizing when you're out of balance. Connect, yeah, consciousness. Yeah. And so that's kind of the thing that I'm saying is that I think it was helpful for me. I'm sharing this with you. But what Astera said was helpful for me because I think sometimes we can label ourselves so quickly. Mm. Oh, I'm traumatized. Mm. Oh, I'm so triggered. Oh, I'm so codependent. Oh, I'm so, I don't feel emotions. We put it in a box in our brain. And we put it in a negative box. Yeah. We, we shame ourselves when really us feeling what our children feel if it's de if it's debilitating where mm -hmm. we can't get out of bed because of it, then we got to get our act together sure. and we got to like find a way to compartmentalize a little bit. But if we are with a daughter with our daughter and she's sad and we're not, mm -hmm. that's more of a problem. Doesn't mean we cry in front of them. It just or you know it doesn't mean we take on their burden. We can cry in front of our kids. That's not a problem. But what I mean is. We don't have to carry it the same way they do, but we are affected by the people we love. Well, and where this gets completely multi-layered and confusing is let's stay on the example of our daughter is in pain for whatever reason. We can empathize, but you know, we also use that metaphor of they're in a hole 
And if you're in the hole with them, it's you're not going to help Correct. them get out of the hole. So you need to be above on a higher plane and you reach down and help them pull up. So once again, that's yet another nuance in everything we're talking about. And I, what I believe, and I know this to be fact because I have to do it every time, is consciousness or mindfulness or just a willingness to be present with what you're feeling I can be sad by my daughter's sadness and still not go in that hole. Mm -hmm. I can be, I I mean, I do it all the time as a mom. I keep going, you know, I keep going. Like you do, we were, um, who's I talking to about this? I think Cameron about the Reese Witherspoon um, quote from one of her speeches. Did I talk about this last week? I don't want to be repetitious. If you did, I don't remember. Well, I might be repetitious, but bear with me, um, about how in one of her speeches, and I don't know if it was at the Emmys or where it was, but she talked about how the quote that she most commonly reads in a screenplay that a woman says is, what do we do now? That a woman turns to a man and says, what do we do now? And she said, and everybody laughed, knowing laughter when she gave the speech. And she said, I even told my daughter. And so now my daughter will read speeches and go, oh, or read screenplays and go, mom, there it is. There it is. And why that's so important to, why why she's pointing that out is I don't know any women who do that. Yeah, We don't look and say, what do we do now? We do what we have to do, which is... My daughter's sad. I'm feeling that pain, but I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to get the help she needs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, you know, take her on a walk. I'm going to hold her. I'm going to – we keep going. And I'm not saying that men don't do that. It's just about the issue that in movies we make women look like they don't know what they're doing. Um, I found this clip on YouTube. Sure. And it's called What Do We Do Now? Yeah. The Supercut. It's 15 times women in film asked Reese, Reese Witherspoon's most hated question. Yeah. So maybe this will be funny. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. What do we do? That's Jesse from Toy Story. <laughs> of course. Now it says, apparently women never know what to do. What do we do now? So what do we do now? What do we do now? What are we going to do? What do we do? What do we do now? What do we do now? So you can't Point see taken. the video, but these are all movies. Like Ferris Bueller was one of them and that... Uh, Hugh Hugh Grant one that we love so much. Four Weddings and a Funeral? No, the Christmas one, whatever it is. Oh, Love Actually. Love Actually. So, yeah, it's 52 seconds of women saying that. What do we do now? So this is Reese Witherspoon's point. You know, like, and women, at least the 99% of the women I know, we don't say that. Like, I just do it. I know what to... You just keep going. Helpless victimhood. Right. In That's women in Hollywood movies. I know we're portrayed that way. Isn't but, there another, like, Amy Schumer one where... Where the wife is at home and the 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 man, the mm-hmm. protagonist, will call home mm-hmm. and all the wife says on the phone is, come home to me, come home. And that that's always like a big role in a movie. Yeah. And then we saw that Schumer put that on her show, Inside Amy Schumer. And then I think like a week later, we went to see Sully mm-hmm. in the theater, you know, Tom Hanks. Yeah. And um, Laura Linney, and that's exactly what it was like. Laura Linney was the wife yeah. at home, yeah. and he would call, and she'd be like, "Come home." <laughs> so it's like we are written in a way that we're we're written. That's why we need female screenwriters because if men are writing screenplays, they think. Well, it's it's a reflection. It's a reflection of, of what the people of influence uh-huh. think of women. Exactly, because it's not like oh, well, this actress said this line. This is in an indication of how people view women. Correct. So if there's people listening that have daughters or if there's any, I don't care who you are, step, help us 
help our female counterparts to step in this place of empowerment, which they are already in. Correct. But We're let's start writing it. movies that way. Exactly. So anyway. Writing the truth. And, you know, it's a little like porn where men are writing the way they view women or the way they wish they went, mm-hmm. women right. were. Like right. there's a fantasy in there of like, I hold all the answers and a woman is going to look to me. Yes. When really it's not about men, it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And we're being very gender specific sure. and there's a binary, you yeah. know, that we can be non-binary about this. It's just to look at any group of people and say, they don't know what we're doing, they're doing, but we do. Well, and I think we started with Astera here. Like whenever you put anything into any type of box or label, yes. it minimizes it. Correct. And, you know, my counterpoint to that is I know, but we need certain frameworks to be able to use words so that we can explain what we want. So even within that, there is a balance. Uh, there's such a balance. There's such a... Because words are great. I love words. Well, can I tell you, is, speaking on that, because we're talking about um, non-binary right now is, okay, Emma Emma Curran, I think her name is, she is, she played Lady Diana in The Crown. Mm-hmm. I think I'm saying her name right. Corin or Curran, I can't remember. She came out uh, about two weeks ago as non-binary. She said, I'm non-binary, but she wants to have she and them. That's her pronoun. Sure. So I had a really good talk with my daughters about like, you know, talk to me more about that. Like how, cause I kind of had my own thought about how I perceive that because we obviously understand they, them, mm-hmm. you know, and we understand he, her, you mm-hmm. know, he, she, her. But when someone has a she and a them, what does that mean? And according to my daughter, who is part of the LGBTQ community, she saw it as um, she is most of the time identifies as female or that is her primary identification, but she definitely has a non-binary aspect to herself that she wants to make sure is part of her identity. And, you know, again, someone may say, no, it means this, like I'm, I'm always open to kind of learning, but I think that we just that in itself, like how we see ourselves, we don't fit in any box, you know, like, the door is so wide open right now about gender fluidity that it's kind of exciting. Like I kind of feel well, like it's an people, opportunity that it really we, is. We, we couldn't have this discussion in the eighties, right? Everybody be like, "What are you talking about?" And it's it's about the discussion, but it's also about we couldn't look at ourselves this clearly in the eighties. Like it's really more about the way we see ourselves. Yeah. Like how do you perceive yourself? And now you can be your individual self in the world and declare that through this. These are the pronouns I'd like you to use yeah. for me. I, I think it's very empowering. Yeah. Okay. So back to... Back to my problem. Back to your problem. Okay. So like I said, this issue may be um, challenging because we'll believe it's never going to change yeah. your whatever thought you're having. I'm stuck. I, I value... My, I, I value my productivity is the value of my being. Yes. And it's been like this since I was a little boy and it's going to be going to be like this until I die. That's the belief. And, or that you, because you believe this, that you're a bad person, mm-hmm. you're, you're not a good role model because you have this issue because this, because this unwelcome thought is happening. I am a bad person. Yeah. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. So that's what negative thinking or uh, wrong language. That's what a difficult emotion. See, when I say negative thinking, people think that's something we can push away. Mm-hmm. And so I want to use different words. That's what difficult emotions can do. They can make us believe it'll n- always be this way or that we are bad. Um, so what we're doing is just recognizing that we can't stop a thought or emotion from arising. Nobody can, but we can be empowered by our, our ability to relate to it in a new way. So learning to not buy into it and at the same time, not blaming ourselves. Sure. Okay. So we 
we'll begin this practice. Are you ready? Ready. By bringing to mind this troubling thought, yep. which you already have. And so you'll love this because you always do this. So where do you feel it in your body? Mm, when I think the thought that I'm only good if I'm productive, I feel it. I think it in my head. Okay, that's fine. And I'm feeling it kind of like a slow roll in my belly. Okay, so stomach. And I, I was going to say, what does it feel like? But a slow roll. Mm. So to me, I'm just like, I'm putting this out there. A slow roll feels like a very common like way. Like a churning. Like a churning that yeah. kind of has a very, um, you feel that a lot. Yeah. It's got a very common roll. Okay, so... How do they? How do these sensations change? They kind of do. They kind of go up and down, back and forth. Um, yeah, it's kind of like I think of a um, like uh, like a balloon. It like inflates and deflates. deflates. It's like a pulsing. Yeah. Pulsing, good. Yeah. And can you experience this feeling uh, fully in the present moment without getting hijacked by it and without Im- immediately trying to make it go away? So I'm immediately trying to go back up into my head and okay. think of the content, okay. which is not what you're asking. You're no, asking just to feel the the body sensation. It's okay to go back to your mind mm-hmm. because you want to go back to the thought so then you can connect to your body. Yeah. So it's not a negative to... Yeah, so it's like yeah. a, it's a relationship, relationship between my head and my gut. So go back so, to the thought. So give me the question again. So it is, can you feel this churning mm-hmm. and recognize this thought that I am not worthy if I don't get all these things done, if I'm not productive and just notice it without allowing it to hijack without, everything about you. So without judging it. Yeah. So just notice the feeling. Or without trying to get it to go away. Can mm-hmm. you just let it be there? Yeah. Just, is there an acceptance piece? Yeah. Can I accept my, can I accept the fact that my stomach is kind of pulsing with some discomfort? And then I will say, if you find that you are adding judgment mm-hmm. or future projection or anything like that, that's the practice. Let go of those reactions, mm-hmm. okay? So do you see how difficult emotions can be layered? Yeah. The first is the feeling mm-hmm. in your stomach. Yeah. The second layer is the projection on that emotion. Yeah, the, the meaning I give to it. Exactly. So let go of those emotions as best you can, almost as though they were birds flying out of your hand. Mm-hmm. Now, the, because you said it was in your stomach, I would look at it as birds flying from your stomach. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to let those like, oh, I always feel this way or what's wrong with me and just kind of let those kind of fly away. Mm-hmm. And I like the image of birds because we don't have to, it doesn't have to be dark. Mm-hmm. We're always like, oh, and I'm going to push that toxicity out. It doesn't have to be toxic. Well, what I like about it is like thinking about the thought of birds flying out of my belly doesn't make a whole lot of cognitive sense no. to mm-hmm. me, no. which is good yeah. because the 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 more weird for me, it is the better because it gets me out of my thinking brain. Right. And so really all you're doing is you're returning to the simple sensation of the emotion without the add-ons. Yeah. It's the add-ons that kill us. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm using kill us, mm-hmm. which sounds, you know, scary, but what I mean, those are the things that bring us down. Yeah. Those are the things that add this extra layer of emotion you know, to the whole experience. So, well, and this is one of the steps that I, when I coach guys, I ha- ask them, can you accept yourself for being scared right now? Like you get them to the place where there's, you're in a state of threat. Can you accept yourself for being scared? And sometimes they say yes. And sometimes they say no. If they say no, it's like, great. Can you accept the one that's unwilling to accept? So in other words, back up just a little bit more. Yeah. Cause you're like, you know what? I can't accept myself because I should be past this by now. Right. Great. Can you, Accept the one that's unwilling to accept, then that gives m- my clients a little more freedom 
to get into this place of acceptance. And it's a space. And like, if you were saying that to a client and they were like, I just don't get it, just saying to them, can you just have the feeling without the judgment? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, because if they're like, who's the observer? Who Mm -hmm. am I, who am I accepting? It's like, you can have that feeling and it really doesn't mean anything. And here's the key. The practice of meditation is the is recognizing. How, so, if you can meditate for longer than ten minutes, you're probably going to have a good like seventeen thoughts in mm-hmm. that time, maybe more, maybe yeah. double of that, maybe less. And what you realize through meditation is how they come and go. Sure. Because you're the for the sitting there and noticing them without taking action on them you recognize how, wow, a really scary thought came in. Oh, but now I'm thinking about what am I cooking for dinner tonight? Mm -hmm. And then you realize when you're done meditating, that scary thought came and went and that I didn't need to take action. I didn't need to judge myself. I didn't need to text somebody and tell them they were horrible because they made me feel a certain way. It was just a thought. That's why meditation is important because it doesn't solve the problems. It helps you recognize that they're just thoughts. That's your mind. It's you going to the gym to practice self-awareness. Exactly. So once your attention is just on the body sensations, you can maybe say to yourself something like, it's okay. Whatever I'm feeling right now, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I can feel this without pushing this away. Or getting caught up in it. Yeah. So that feeling of I'm not worthy unless I get, if I get more done, it almost makes me smile. You know, I'm thinking about if I was feeling that, you know, if I was like, it's okay that I feel that way. It yeah. almost like it takes away all of its power. Well, almost like maybe the question I would ask myself if I was my own client, I'd be like, can you laugh at this? Yeah. Like, can you, can you bring some humor to the fact that you think that your value is predicated upon how many emails you can crank out in a day. Like that's funny. Exactly. Because the more serious that we hold something, the more restricted we get. Whereas if we can laugh at it, all of a sudden there's some openness and curiosity. And you know, something that we do when we're turning this around with clients is we could say, what if your child thought that the only thing that made him productive was turning in homework? Mm-hmm. Oh, Wouldn't yeah. you say to them? It's a great reframe. That's not what it's about. Which is, yeah, which is all about us holding ourselves up to some unreasonable standard. Yeah. So you know, basically what you're trying to do is get into recognizing your pattern of thinking and how, what you're trying to break apart is the difficult emotion. It is difficult and it always will be that you're not going to change that. So people who are like, but I just want to be happy all the time. Sorry, Mm -hmm. difficult emotions come and go. What we're trying to do is to not put, to not layer the difficult emotion with judgment and it will always be this way and you suck and I'm never going to get over this. Those are the things that that burden us. Yeah. So really, it's just getting back to watching them rise and watching them pass, knowing that they're not permanent, they're changing, they're shifting. And then if we're having another feeling, then being like, where is this feeling? Like, it's interesting because if there's enough you know, space in our day, sometimes we have feelings about those feelings. Mm-hmm. And we'll be like, sure. okay, well, what is this feeling? Well, I don't know if this is really going to work, or I don't know if this is a thing. What's going to work? You're not working. Well, one of the things you just said is watching them. Like that, that is a, that's a world of information. The fact that you can watch your thoughts is something that is not an easy thing to, well, I make up a story that sometimes it's not an easy thing to do. If you can just step back and observe and create a little bit of space, as Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response. Yeah then you're well on your way. But most of the time, the thought, the emotion overtakes us and we drop below the line and we're coming from this place of restrictive, restricted unconsciousness. And that's when things go sideways. You start yelling at your kid or your boss or your employee or your wife or your husband or whatever. Totally. And what you just said, you know, what Viktor Frankl said, um, another way to 
to say that that may like be helpful when you're thinking a bunch of thoughts is, oh, here comes that pattern of thinking mm-hmm. again. It really isn't me. It's mm-hmm. just this pattern of thinking. Everything is wrong. I'm a failure. Whatever kind of pattern of thinking it is, um, once we recognize the pattern of thinking, we can remind ourselves that that pattern is just visiting. Well, and you know, we're kind of taking a deep dive into some of the things that I learned about in my coaching program, but that pattern of thinking, what the term we use for that is a persona. And we all have a million personas inside of us, the goody two shoes, the mean bitchy one. And the idea is not to uh, demonize any of -hmm. these personas. It's to know that these patterns of thoughts or feelings or personas showed up in our lives at a time when we were younger to serve us. The problem is we um, no longer have a healthy relationship with this persona and we end up either pushing it away and it just comes back and fights even harder or we let it take us over. So the idea is just to create a little bit of space. Oh, this is the mean one. This is, oh, there it is. This is the self-critical one. Right. I, I have a persona of the self-critical one who shows up all the time, like, Todd, you should have done this better. Mm-hmm. And the idea is not to like get mad at the self-critical one. It's can we find a place to embrace this one because we know that the self-critical one is trying his best to show up to serve me but I just have not been able to resolve my relationship with him. So he's going to keep showing up in an unconscious way. So this is when people are like, well, what, you know, you got to work on yourself. This is the work. It requires investigation, exploration, curiosity. And, you know, sometimes you do that with a spouse or a professional coach. Creativity. Absolutely. You need to, you know, show up in this space from a different place of mind. Like, you know, you were talking about last night, I had a headache. And for those of you who listen to the show, you know that, you know, I get headaches. Um, and my pattern of thinking when I get a headache is you're weak mm. because, and I could cry because it's a belief mm. I have. <sighs> I'm, I feel weak because I do so much to stay well mm-hmm. and I still get headaches. And I don't know why. And and I'm not debilitated by them anymore. They're not chronic. They're not all the time. But I've just so happened for the last week, I've had kind of a long one. Long headache. Enduring headache. Enduring. It hasn't been horrible all the time. I've been up. I've been, it's, you know, there are some people who are bedridden by them, and I get it. So but I feel weak. What, I feel like, what else can I do? And what's so messed up about it, and this is a perfect example, and we all have our own version of the headache or the yeah. self-critical one yeah. saying you're weak. If I said to you, Kathy, I have a headache, I'm weak, you would like laugh at me and coach me up and 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 support me and love me from an objective point of view or a listener or your kid. But the fact that you're doing that, it's you, you have a expectation that you don't hold for anybody else on this earth. I know. I know it. And we all do this and it's so messed up. Well, I have the belief that a lot of people do, which is, okay, um, I do yoga. I meditate. I eat well. I smile a lot. I've created a life that's very genuine. I I'm a, I feel like a very authentic person. I've done all the things. Yeah, you make up a story saying that this shouldn't this happen. This shouldn't to me. happen to me then. Yeah. And there's no truth in that. And I have clients who say that to me all the time. They're like, "But I did all the things." And I'm like, "Sorry, you don't control life. There is no certainty. You can do everything right, and you can still have challenges. Yeah. Um, that's the way things go. It's not. But and I know that 
yet there's still a belief, as you can tell, just because I'm okay, I'm fine right now, by the way, everybody. But when I say those words out loud, the reason I cry is because I believe them. Mm-hmm. There's something, there's a part of my body that is like, yep. So that's can true. you look at it from a place of levity? Like, and I'm talking about it. The it is your pattern of self criticism for your headaches. Instead of thinking that that's a serious thing, I just wonder if you can look at it through a a more light lens. Yeah, I mean, I think right now I uh I think the the lens that I would use when it comes to my headaches is less about humor and more about compassion. Mm-hmm. And humor's great too. I use that as well, but yeah. with headaches it's more gentleness and compassion and that this is like, you know, who doesn't have challenges if it be you know, it, it doesn't matter. I don't even need to compare. We just all have things. And sometimes, you know, I, I was with my friends this weekend, my best friends from college, and we all are turning 50 this year. My birthday's in a couple weeks, but all of them have turned 50. And, um, you know, that's what we're celebrating. And for the most part, everybody's very healthy and good, but we've all had things, yeah. you know, or a you know, backache or headaches or, you know, this is hurting or, you know, that's just what happens when you get older. Emotions hurt and physical, mm-hmm. physical uh, challenges as well. So, you know, you can't, and this is, this is kind of the next part, Tad, so we can finish this up, okay. um, is that, you know, the next chapter um, in Sharon Salzberg's book is called Grief to Resilience, and all it says is, some things just hurt. Mm. And it's just a fact of life. And she said, she said she jokingly wanted, wants to put it on a t-shirt so people quit trying to pretend that it doesn't hurt. She says, there are those who assert that if we only didn't try to resist our experience or have a bad attitude, there'd be no pain at all. She said, I challenge that. It's inevitable that by simply living a life, there will be times of adversity and definitely disruption. It's not because of our attitude that those times are uncomfortable or heartbreaking. And for the dedicated many who work to make their community or the world a kinder, more insightful place, the suffering they aim to alleviate will often spill into their own lives. It's just the way it goes. And you may be one of them. And, um, you know, it just, it helps to recognize that, in our culture, this is me speaking now, that in our culture, there's this attitude toward pain that we should avoid it or treat it or never have it. But painful emotions are about being human and they are indicators and roadmaps and they are blinking lights and they are they are what tell us which way to go. We can't avoid them. Um, and that to acknowledge them and to recognize them is what continues to grow us and evolve us. And to acknowledge them, though, pain is uncomfortable or right. discomfort is painful. And as human beings, we're evolved not to want to feel pain. Right. Well, actually, I don't think we've evolved that way. I think that's cultural and societal. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Like, evolved makes me think that maybe... Our ego does not want us... If, if there's a way out from not feeling this mm-hmm. without any um, evolution, mm-hmm. um, awareness, inspiration, whatever, we're going to run for the, you know, for me, it's the email. I, I, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to go check off an email in my box. Some mm-hmm. people go to porn. Some people go to booze. Some people go to, you know, everybody goes to these different places. If we could just sit in the discomfort when painful things happen to us, we, and and let it to come, let it, 
all the way through. Without adding the second layer of Without judgment. adding the suffering mm-hmm. on top of the pain. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like pain's here, suffering's here. Like, let's just ride the pain wave, mm-hmm. but let's not pile it on with mm-hmm. all these other thoughts of what this pain means. You know, I'm kind of getting, we're talking about like a visual of a video game where we like... You know, like, it, I'm okay, this is so crazy, but my brain is crazy. I'm thinking about Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we either run, run away from, from the, the ghosts, ghosts or we bite them, and then we eat them, and then we get points, mm-hmm. and then they go away, and we become stronger, and we get more points. Like, So when we go, when we when we eat the power pellet, all of a sudden the ghosts turn to attacking us, yes, to running away from correct. us. Correct. So maybe the power pellet thing is our awareness that this is just painful and move towards that pain. Because if we run, we're just going to be running and it eventually bites us, you think, know? And think about what's happening in your brain when you're playing Pac-Man. Like I'm, I'm using my hand as if I was playing yeah, Pac-Man right joystick. now. You have this, um, when, when you're being chased, there's anxiety there. Totally. But when you eat that power pellet thing... You're strong. Like you're like, doesn't matter where I go. Remember like, when you could get all four ghosts at yes. once? And it was like, boo-boo? Yes, boo-boo? exactly. You could get all of them. And the last ghost was 1,600 points. That's exactly right. It's what were so, the names of the four uh, ghosts, uh, Binky, Blinky, Pinky, and then one was like a different name. What was it? Um, th- yeah, that one was a different name. Clyde? I don't know. Something like that. What a simple game. I know. It's everything's so complicated now. Yeah, it's Clyde. Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde. And then in Ms. Pac-Man, it's Sue. Ms. Pac-Man is a much is a superior game than Pac-Man. You think so? For sure. Because of the It's just different uh different screens. Uh there's different things that go on there. It's yeah, Ms. Pac-Man rocks. So anyway, so I think that we here. should will you do me a favor? Sure. Will you pull up a song? Um sure. it's by Little River Band and it's called Cool Change. And I I want you to play this song because, like I said, I was with my girlfriends this weekend who I love dearly, who I have been some of my best friends, my very best friends for like 30 years. And we we used to play this song at Peggy's all the time at oh, the really? bar. Um, Is this it? At our school. Yep. Okay. And then when we were listening to it, we were like, wow, that's like such a, it's such one of our songs, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to play it for them because I love them. Oh, that's nice. Do you remember this song? No, I was drunk at Peggy's. <laughs> but it was also popular like in the 70s or 80s. Never heard of this And song. it just kind of reminded us because we're, you know, we're all doing work and we're moms and all those kind of things. And we don't spend a lot of time alone just yeah. enjoying nature. And it was just kind of a reminder just that we're all worthy. Oh. So... So we're going to play about 30 seconds at the end of my promo. Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Uh, 630-956-1800, avidco.net. I also coach guys one-on-one, so go to toddadamscoaching.com. If there's any guys in your life, men living, uh, it's an organization I'm the executive director of. Uh, Connect deeply, live fully. Check us out, and um, we'll see you guys next Tuesday. Have a great week, everybody. We love you. It's time for a cool change Well, I was born in the sign of water And it's there that I feel my best The albatross and the whales, they are my brothers It's kind of a special feeling 
everyone don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and feel free to leave a five-star review it helps people find us hey looking for more support exclusive content and an awesome community of parents join team zen where you'll get zero pressure and 100 support first month's free if you enter the coupon code friend go to zenparentingradio.com Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe. A special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low-pressure, 75-minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org. Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. He is a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicago and area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.